Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, we are in a world of incredible innovation, and in the software and information technology area, we see continuous development of new products, services, solutions, or enhancements to existing solutions. And this is a high-volume space. It's estimated there's more than a half a million software and information technology services companies in the U.S. alone. And just a few years ago, estimated more than 40,000 companies that were launching some type of new technology out there. So a lot of activity. And then the question remains, what are the key ingredients to be successful in terms of go-to-market, product launch, and product build activities? We know in the consumer space, Uh, which is also active with a lot of innovation, that we might see as many as 30,000 new product launches in a year. And Harvard Business School research shows that as much as 95% of those launches will will fail. So it's not a guarantee. And I'm really excited to uh, speak with my guest today, who is a true, passionate, and experienced product leader around what it takes to really be successful in terms of your product go-to-market. Kartik Suresh is a product and technology leader with experience as a founder, an early startup hire, and a key player in defining product strategy and finding market fit. He is the co-founder of Ignition, the world's first go-to-market platform that allows businesses to manage all stages of the product lifecycle. Kartik has extensive experience building products in consumer enterprise, and the data domain across early stage and established companies. He was previously at Facebook, where he led acquisitions for Portal as a product manager for growth within the Facebook Reality Labs. Kartik, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited. Yeah, so uh, you originally um, you know, have had a variety of different roles. You've worked in some corporate environments, but then you made the decision to leave that that corporate world and really start down the path of being a company founder. What originally inspired you to go that route? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I started, I started my career in uh, actually in financial services uh, in basically in Wall Street in New York and uh, in a big bank and later a prop trading firm um, and then also had a stint at Facebook. Um, I think one of the main differences is uh, being able to bring your own idea to life, um, you know, when you have a vision, when you, when, and especially when you can't sleep, uh, thinking, why doesn't this idea exist? Why doesn't the solution exist? And you keep going through the same problem again and again and again in the corporate world. You really want to get out and actually build something which, you know, is going to solve that problem. That's my, that was the most important motivating factor for me. Uh, in addition, of course, you know, you know, being uh, able to you know, basically being able to uh, run a company independently, uh, having freedom 
to work on things which matter the most and which you're passionate about, uh, not having your own boss and all of those other things are definitely um, other motivators as well. Yeah, the thing that kept coming into my mind as you were telling that story is just the, just feeling liberated, right? To be able to really go and, and kind of feel like you, you're, you're more the master of your own destiny. Exactly. It, um, and, and, and master of your own destiny. And you also have this burning like idea or a mission or a vision for a, a software or product, which you really want to see exist in the world out there. And you want to see people using it and solving a specific problem. And every day you're wondering like why somebody hasn't built it. And if that, if, if that continues to happen over months and months and you know it's time to like make the switch. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And something we've talked on this podcast a lot about is just the best learning sometimes comes from not always succeeding. Sometimes when you don't succeed, you take some of the most meaningful learning and, and you apply that to future success. And I know that you did have a challenging entrepreneurial experience in fintech earlier in your career. What did you take from that experience that you are benefiting from today? Yeah, sure. So my very first stint at entrepreneurship was uh, at this company called Altrest, uh, right out of business school. Uh, I launched Altrest with a good friend of mine. Um, what Altrest was, was an alternative lending platform which helped investors invest in peer-to-peer -peer loans. Um, you know, those days, uh, those are the days when Lending Club and Prosper and other alternative lending platforms were really taking off. And our idea was to get institutional investors to invest in these loans. Um, and when we obviously when we started off, uh, super excited, we felt like there's a real need. And it was also one of the high yielding asset classes during those times. Um, but what we didn't realize is like, one, the target market was way lower than we had estimated that to be. Two, selling to institutions and banks and large fintech firms is, is a nightmare and it's a very long sales cycle. And more often than not, startups do not have that kind of a runway uh, and also the talent to actually deal with these large sales cycles. Although the most important thing is, is eventually like I, I, we, me and my co-founder, we didn't agree on the direction of the company given all these problems we faced. So, and, and then by the way, my co-founder at that time still like running this company now, but at least when I exited, um, one of the things I realized is to make sure that you, um, you actually find somebody like a co-founder who, who you really trust and who you really vibe in terms of all the values, culture and direction. It's almost like a, you know, you're dating somebody. Um, most of the, in fact, the number one reasons which startups fail is not because it runs out runs out of money or they have a bad idea. It's because uh, their co-founders, uh, you know, they don't get along. <laughs> um, and it's very important. That's one of the biggest learning is uh, make sure, you know, you choose the right person as your co-founder or right set of people as your, not just your co-founder, but also the right set of people as your first early hires because they are going to set the foundation of the company, the culture of the company, and everything is going to be built on top of this foundation. Yeah, it does always boil down to that human factor in chemistry amongst the co-founders. Uh, that's that's the dynamic that really is the defining feature of any new venture. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Any new venture. You're right. So, um, you know, even if it's a hobby project or like a startup, uh, it's, it's so important that you take time um, to understand what kind of chemistry you share with that person before actually diving like full time or, or, you know, into it. Well, if we're talking about developing and then growing technology solutions, effective product marketing is just so integral to that. Kartik, what do you think there are out there when you look at the market in the way of mistakes? You know, companies are they're trying, the intent is there, but do you see some things that they're just falling short on uh, that are keeping them from achieving their goals? Yeah, absolutely. this is one of my favorite topics. Uh, you know, there's, especially among product leaders, you always uh, talk about like how distribution is at least as important as the product itself. Um, and product marketing is so integral to make sure that you have a proper launch process in place uh, and you have a really good distribution mechanism in place, uh, which a lot of the early stage companies miss. Um, so the first first issue is like, you know, sending an email is not a launch. <laughs> a lot of the times, uh, especially you know, a lot of the founders come from an engineering background or product background, and I myself an engineer as well, is there is this uh, myth that you build this amazing product and users will come. But more often than not, they don't. And if you go to product hunt, there's like hundreds of products launching every day. And like nine out of 10 of those products will die, not because the product is not good, but because they can't find uh, a way to distribute that product and get to the, their target audience. So which is, which is the core of um, like a launch process or a product marketing function, which is why it's so critical. So, you know, sending a, I mean, sending an email is not a launch. You need, you really need a multi-channel approach to getting in front of the target users. That's number one. Number two is like, you also need to think about marketing objective and what, what your positioning is. For example, let's say you're creating a new category of a product. If you're creating a new category and you decide, you know what, I'm going to invest in SEO and then create all this content. But like, if it's a new category, nobody's searching for that. <laughs> so just wasting your time in a in a channel which is not going to work for you uh, versus let's say you're in a competitive switching uh, where you know you're, you're, you're entering a very crowded market there all you need to do is go target the customers of your competitors and maybe aggressively target them with some heavy discounts so it's very different strategies you need to apply um, and you need to think about all of these things as a part of the launch process um, which which is like it's it's just like amazing that very few companies, especially at the early stage, do it today. And and then finally, I, I want to say that you need to have a process in place. You need to have a repeatable planning process which you can apply, and also a tiered system. Like if it's a major launch versus a minor launch, what are the things you're going to do? Uh, what are the channels you're going to use? Um, you need to make sure your salespeople, your customer success, and everyone, all the stakeholders are on the same page. So they talk about the product in the same way when they talk to you know their clients or, or, or customers. And investing in making sure there is this well-defined you know, planning process, a launch process is another thing I would highly recommend companies have. And, and seeing all of these issues is why Ignition was born. Yeah, I think a real easy trap to fall into. Uh, the founder that has uh, maybe uh, gone, at, gone out and made a lot of personal decisions and tried to work outside the box is, well, I can just wing this, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you really can't wing this. And then I think the other thing is 
especially in uh, young organizations that are growing fast, you're bringing new people on all the time. If you don't have that defined process, it seems like you're just starting over. If you're bringing new people on, maybe you're not going to have the same person managing each of those launches. How do you retain the best practices, right? If you're not documenting and as you're getting new people on, otherwise you're going to have, you know, 10 different launches done 10 different ways. Exactly. I mean, even, even at companies like Facebook, I've seen where you have a PMM running one set of a process for a launch, and then you go to another team or in the same team, there's a new PMM who comes in and then does a, has an entirely different set of a, a process. Um, and then nobody can find the right assets. Like there's times where we couldn't find the, the most recent version of the logo uh, because it was all fragmented. And it was, you know, in some cases, it lived in you know, a Google Docs, in a spreadsheet, uh, you know, or in some some task management like Asana. But like, there was no like one place where you can find all of the previous plans. So, and also like, there was no like a standard set of a templates which you can apply for ongoing launches. Yeah. So it's all about efficiency as well as consistency in terms of the quality uh, by having those defined processes in place and. As we think about the era we're in right now, from a go-to-market planning perspective, from a product launch execution perspective, Kartik, are there some new skill sets, data sources, and tools that are just essential uh, for folks uh, to be utilizing uh, in order to be successful? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think a lot. First, of all, I think first of all, product marketing as a field is relatively new in the sense, but one of the fastest growing, I think, job trends in in the at least on the tech side of uh, things. I mean, especially in the valley and uh, and tech industry as a whole. Uh, a lot of the times, people from come from various backgrounds. You know, people from customer success, people, um, you know, from you know, PMs. They all move into product marketing roles, and it's really important to spend time in understanding exactly what. What is a what does a really high quality launch process look like? Um, first, need to understand like uh, as we talked about in you know in, in the previous um, question, it's like having a very well defined process in place, having a very well defined tiered process. Like here's a tier one launch process. If I want to you know announce a major product, what is like a tier three launch process if I just want to you know announce like a small feature addition to my existing product, and what does that look like? Number two, um, you know, just coming up, uh, coming up with a really good go-to-market plan. Everything from like customer research, surveying users, understanding the pain points, um, figuring out like, who your target audience is, like, defining what the ICP is, like you know, the ideal customer profile is, and then figuring out how you're going to position this product to them, like doing competitive research, understanding what spaces your competitors own, and how you how how you can position your product such that um, you know the end user can actually understand um, you know the value prop of your product and that's like that's a very important exercise a lot of the times uh, you know they just they, you just skip uh, because positioning is super important uh, I mean this I mean I can, we can talk a long time about positioning like, you know how like Coke versus like Pepsi they position themselves right or you know how these politicians sometimes position themselves in different messages um, and then that really ends up making or breaking the end result uh, so investing in positioning and then after that thinking about the channels like what okay now that you have defined 
uh, a messaging and a positioning strategy what channels are you going to use to get to your target audience are you going to just spend on content and seo are you going to invest in ads are you going to invest in like, events and conferences um and then depending on again depending on different industries the channels could be quite different so figuring out what channels work and what channels don't uh, and then after that making sure you, you know, work with your designers and copywriters to come up with a very well-defined set of um, assets which are in line with your brand um, then finally training salespeople, training customer success people uh, to make sure everyone's on the same page they're talking about it the same um, so basically learning how to create this go-to-market plan learning how to create this high quality launch process and being able to apply this template again and again for the future launches is another skill which we have to be a master of yeah i'm thinking um, about I was just going to say, Kartik, on that multi-channel approach, you know, one of the things is it's not a static, hey, I'm going to go try these things once and we're just going to stick with that formula again and again and again. Isn't there a dynamic where you're going to go out, experiment, you're going to learn, and then you take the learning and you could adapt that. You can adjust that mix over time, right? Absolutely. Um, and they adapt over time and also for different launches like for example different features you might need different channels um like you know as i said before if you're launching uh, like let's say a new product which is creating a really category it's a, it's a category defining product then the channels you're going to use is going to be very different even though you have well-established channels for your previous launch um, maybe in the previous launch you used um, seo which worked great but now, since you're creating a new category, SEO doesn't work. Um, so you need to be able to constantly experiment and figure out what channels um, you know, you're going to apply to your, the next set of launches. So it's really what it is. It's a dynamic template. It's not like one static template which lives and you just keep applying it to, you know, trying to fit every every single launch into that template. It's more of a dynamic launch template where you go, but, but the process is static. So you have a process that then you, you take this dynamic template and apply it. And then based on the, the what's being shipped or what's being launched, you figure out, okay, how do I position it? How do I message it? What channels are I going to use to experiment? And then you know, just coming up with this plan for that launch. So within an organization, you're going to have product marketers and you're going to have product managers. So sometimes maybe it's a hybrid role, but, but often you're going to have very distinct roles. And obviously that relationship is so crucial that and the collaboration is so important what do you think are some of the drivers in establishing and then sustaining a really healthy relationship across those two teams yeah that's a really good question and uh, this is something which a lot of the you know um, leaders and management are actually thinking about um, like how do you how do you establish and position these roles such that it leads to company success? Um, I think in early stage to mid stage companies these days, PMM is more of an emerging trend. Whereas in established companies, you can see there's like you know, basically teams of PMMs and PMs. They have clearly defined roles and relationships. Uh, what's happening in larger companies like you know like Facebook or Microsoft is like the PMs are at the center of all other stakeholders like engineers, designers, uh, data scientists, um, and they are, the they are the ones responsible for getting the product built. And then PMMs are the center of marketing, sales, branding, customer success, and so on to help get the product uh, actually, you know, you know, basically launched uh, and then supported and sold and so on. 
and then PM and PMMs now work with each other to make sure the best practices between each other's functions. They just get they get um, very well communicated to their stakeholders. For example, what's happening on the engineering timeline gets communicated to the salesperson so that they know when to communicate to their clients that you know what's shipping when. Um, but I think the the real the real key here is. PMMs have to get involved at the product road mapping process. A lot of the times what happens is, um, you know, the product product managers are the, are the people who, you know, help with, you know, they come up with the product strategy, the roadmap, and work with the engineers to actually get that executed, implemented, and shipped. And PMMs are only brought in at the time when the product is ready to be launched. And this has to change. I think the PMMs have to be involved at the very early uh, phase of product development process. So because they have their own set of insights um, about the customers and about the market and, and the positioning so they can bring in so that the product can actually be built, taking, in, taking into all these accounts and this doesn't become an afterthought. A lot of the times what happens is uh, PMMs are only told, hey, you know, like this reference program is shipping in two weeks. Uh, can you help with the launch? And the PMMs are completely caught blindsided. It's like two weeks. Okay, I need, I need time to actually you know, do the research, understand the competitors, understand the value prop. I mean, I need to run a proper process. It's not just sending an email, you know, as we talked about. But you know, I think the if 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 uh, we can set up a process where the PMMs are included early on in the product development process, then PM and PMMs both work together as a team to not just launch the product but also actually build the product. I think that's the way to you know, establish and sustain a very healthy relationship in the company. Yeah, you make an excellent point there because uh, even in my experience in, in a lot of different technology companies and a lot of launches, you never get the best results when it's in a rushed, reactive approach. And there have been cases where you know things happen, uh, shorter timelines and it, just always felt like where it's more reactive versus the proactive, the early collaboration and planning. You just had a, a deeper, richer uh, set of messaging. You had a more confident um, approach uh, and just everything was tighter, right? Versus just, hey, we scrambled, maybe we pulled it off, but let's face it, we didn't really hit the quality bar. Exactly. Totally. I mean, this is this, and, the, and you know what? What amazes me is this is so common. <laughs> this is exactly what happens in a lot of the companies. Um, I mean, product marketing is one of the functions where, and also just lot product marketing is one thing, but just launching, uh, establishing, and investing in a launch process is one of the highest ROIs. Um, I think companies can invest in. Um, it's going to help. Their product go way more, you know, way further. You know, it's going to have, definitely have an impact on the top line revenues, and that's I think one of the things, easiest things, which which uh, the especially the innovative companies should should be investing today. Now, you just mentioned innovation. You've been in and around a lot of innovation. What do you think are the key ingredients in building a really an authentic culture of innovation? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, for me, innovation, the culture of innovation uh, means being open to change. Um, inertia is something which kills companies. And I think humans in general uh, are risk averse and um, 
everyone they really like the comfort zone right so even which is why you see a lot of the people um even in this law i mean not just for products but even in terms of their own careers they tend to stay like let's say at, at google for 10 years even though they know they can go out and build companies because they are kind of discovered they have a very cushy and comfortable job which they don't want to change um but it's doing injustice to what their true potential is and same thing applies to the culture as well it's 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 the the the, be, the best thing to do best thing a company can do is instill a sense that only when you're constantly open to change and constantly revisiting you know whether it's your product whether it's your positioning whether it's your process whether it's your target audience whether the industry you're in um that's what's going to lead to sustainable and long term growth for the companies and i think for example tesla is really good at that even facebook uh, you know early on in the early days like facebook was really really good at that um but a lot of the times you know more established companies um you know if if you have to bring change like you would have so much bureaucracy and and then roadblocks to even push through some basic changes you want in a product it's almost like we have always done it this way we have always done it this way so why change and that's the biggest company killer so um the key ingredient in my mind um for a, for you know for uh, establishing a culture of innovation is being able to be open to change and instilling that in every every single function in sales and marketing and engineering and product um and then being able to think about you know what can i do to disrupt my own product what can i do to you know help uh, help you know not just innovate but also think about adopting all the new technologies which are available today but which are not available like when the product was built um and i think that's uh, that's something which is so critical especially for established companies yeah and and the idea of going back even after a product's launch and maybe it was very successful which is great but being open to always reevaluate in the context of new available technologies right so it's just this continuous process of evaluation and being open to going back and and adjusting and improving yeah it's although it's just, it's so it's so hard um it's easier said than done i would say for example like it's a, it's a it's a classic case of innovators dilemma like you know um you know you have the, the current product is not sustainable i mean even for I'm, i'm sure like the facebook app is facing the same issue where a facebook app like i don't think it's being able to onboard a lot of the gen z and millennial crowd and they know it's not going to work so they have to constantly disrupt their own product in order to stay relevant um if not like tiktok or another new competitor is going to come and eat eat the lunch and you know it's it's so hard to get the employees and everyone in the company to think that way yeah yeah it's it's definitely a challenge and over the course of your career i'm sure you have received a lot of business advice uh what do you think was the best advice you've received that has really made a difference for you yeah um if there's one thing i would say it's take risk it it basically goes back to the theme of innovation and being open to change um so basically the the best business advice i've received is like um uh, don't do things just because they've been done the same way take risk um you know basically go after new set of customers new set of industries think about adjacencies for your product think about new persona for your product um invest take risk in terms of new hires you know not for example don't just keep 
looking for people who have or from f- Facebook or Google think about giving chance to somebody who's like really fresh, like would like really fresh grads and then see if they have the ability to take on more responsibilities. So it's like take risk in terms of recruiting, take risk in terms of building a new product for a different persona, take risk in terms of investing in a new industry. Uh, I mean, literally like, and that's kind of been my mantra because like, and that's what helped me to make these decisions so easy that, you know, even though I was at a, such a really high paying good job at Facebook, I was able to jump uh, and start Ignition. And even before when I was at Wall Street, um, it's a pretty good, pretty good job. I was able to like disrupt myself and just go st- you know, learn something new and start afresh in tech. Um, so risk taking, I think, is directly correlated to success. Yeah. And the exhilaration of taking that bold step, facing the fear but then taking the step and then seeing things happen, that's got to be like something that's really amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's what I would say, like almost it's uh, for me, at least it defines, it helps me define the purpose of my life. It's almost like why I exist. It's almost like helps me, helps me define my own existential question. It's like, um, because it, you know, for me, when I when I question, okay, what am I doing in life? You know, what should I be doing in order to make sure I, I actually do justice to myself and live a, like a self, like a really fulfilling life? Uh, for me, it's all about like going after your passion, being able to take risk, being not being a, what you know stuck and caught in some kind of a dogma because you know because like people have been always doing certain things in certain way, um, and uh, yeah, it's a for me, it's a way more deeper question. <laughs> than just getting your business success. It's more for me, it's just your own life success. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really deep and personal. And so when you think about the future, and I know you're doing that all the time because you're in this rapidly changing environment and very innovative environment, what makes you optimistic? Yeah. Uh, oh my God, it's such a such a timely question. So many things happening in the world, which almost makes us pessimistic sometimes. You know, there's yeah, the pandemic, and I'm like, oh God, oh God. So we finally are getting out of pandemic. Now we have a war, and then now we have high inflation. The markets are crashing, just like one after the other, <laughs> never ending. <laughs> um, so, but then you know, I think really, to be honest with you, what what uh, keeps me optimistic, what makes me get up every day, is literally. Uh, the the pace of innovation that's happening uh, in in this industry, you know whether you look at self driving cars or you know the machine learning and AI in general, and even even on the medical side of things, the genetics. Hey, even even our vac, the COVID vaccine was a new technology, um, and we see all of these crypto and Web three innovations, which hopefully going to make our financial systems better. Um, that's what really I am optimistic about the future. If there's one thing which can save us from ourselves, <laughs> that's technology. Um, and 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 then what's even more interesting is the the pace of change in technology is accelerating. Um, you know, in 2000, 2000, early 2000s, late 1990s when it actually started, and and that's something which we've been optimistic for a while, and we actually see the the pace of change accelerating. Uh, I think mean, ten years ago, you know, talking about an electric car was like, hey, that's probably like 2050. And now we not just have Tesla, but every single traditional car company like GM and Ford and BMW and Mercedes, everyone is thinking of electric cars. Um, and then the next set of uh, you know innovation is going to be automation because. Uh, 
a lot of the a lot of the mundane jobs i'm getting like people are getting more and more skilled so then we need we need uh, like robots to help do all the of the like our mundane jobs so there is a ton of innovation continue to happen irrespective of the market conditions irrespective of what hap- what else is happening in the world and that that's what you know keeps me optimistic in spite of <laughs> all the other things happening today well yeah there's a lot there and so much to be enthusiastic and, and optimistic about so as we start wrapping up our conversation kartik do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to elevate the performance of their teams or achieve competitive advantage yeah so f- for me the number one thing has been like delegate and trust so have a really good culture of trust give responsibilities early let them fail a few times and learn don't micromanage uh, that's been like the single uh, that that i would say is the single biggest thing the leaders can do to empower their teams and elevate the performance i've been in several companies now and a lot of the times i've seen like you know there are like really high potential um for example uh, younger employees and irrespective of how well they do uh, there's not enough trust they are like okay you know what i need to hire this vp from google who has like 20 years of experience to help run run product um and at the same time you, you know you bring on really experienced people with 10 20 years experience then you don't trust them enough that they're going to do the job um that they're going to run it they've been doing it for a while instead you try to micromanage instead you try to push your own theses and vision and how you look at the world onto them so in both cases you know it it ends up in failure um and it's 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 very sad because i've seen um like this happen again and again in a lot of my previous companies like through high potential young people who have like incredible at their job they just leave because they are not given enough responsibilities and trust and like really experienced senior hires fail because they're not again uh, being uh, given enough space to establish their own way of doing things um and uh, and then yeah so the one thing i would say the leaders can do at a, at any kind of company whether it's a early stage startup or a large company is you know delegate and trust so easily said harder to see it always get executed but i think spot on because the power of people and giving them the room and knowing you have their back but at the same time giving them the room to grow uh just amazing things can happen when you just step back get out of the way and let your people really shine absolutely i mean that's why for example when google introduced this 20% free time do what you want everything from gmail to like like i think when maps and a lot of the products were born because they empowered their employees to work on their side projects and instead of the leaders just pushing them to work on something which they believe are important right i mean this is like the single biggest thing any leaders can do yeah yeah excellent example well kartik thanks again for joining sharing your journey as a company founder and what it takes to really deliver excellence from a go to market product launch and product marketing perspective. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh thanks again. And a reminder to all of you to please continue to give the gift of feedback. Let us know what you like about this podcast. It's really easy to go out and rate and review. You can do that on all of the major 
podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.